Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond. And welcome to our special Pulse Check series on Politico's reporting on the coronavirus outbreak. Today, I'm in conversation with my colleagues, Jeremy Siegel, who hosts Politico's great daily podcast, Dispatch, and my colleague, Sarah Overmall, a healthcare reporter who I often team up with to go into the workings of the health department. We're talking about Dr. Rick Bright, the ousted vaccine expert turned whistleblower testifying on Thursday in front of the House Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee. Here's our conversation. So I, I'm curious, both of you, when you started out reporting, uh, this this should be good. This should be good. Yeah. <laughs> when you started reporting uh, at first in healthcare policy, I mean, would you have ever imagined the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, possibly the nerdiest sounding name of an organization on the planet, would end up becoming the subject of national conversation? <laughs> this is our moment in the sun. People are learning acronyms we never thought they would. <laughs> Yeah, I, I push back on that. I think the question is, why hasn't the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority been the uh, the top conversation topic for the past few years? It's it's important stuff that they do. It must be like a killer topic at, at dinner parties. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know. I haven't haven't really been to one in two months. But uh, <laughs> on my next Zoom chat, I have a feeling we will be talking about the Biomedical Research uh, Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. Yeah, it rolls right off the tongue. So um, the reason I brought up BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, of course, is because Dr. Rick Bright, who previously played a central role in this organization, has been in the news a lot lately. Dan, who is Dr. Rick Bright and why is he in the news this week? Dr. Rick Bright is a career scientist focused on therapeutics, vaccines, and until last month, head of the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, or, or as we know it, BARDA. Dr. Bright was then abruptly transferred to the National Institutes of Health for a more targeted job, effectively a demotion. But within two days in April, announced he was going to ask the inspector general to investigate. He claimed that he was wrongly transferred for uh, political reasons, because he fought back against plans to provide unproven malaria drugs to the American people. And and Dr. Bright, as a result, has become a hero to many health experts that I talk to, that, that Sarah talks to, because frankly, the Trump administration has botched many aspects of the pandemic response. And now a health official is speaking out with documents about warnings that went ignored. Dr. Bright is now set to testify in front of the House Energy and Commerce uh, Health Subcommittee on Thursday morning. So even more attention will be on his claims. You mentioned one of the things that's playing a big role in this, this anti-malaria drug, hydroxychloroquine and BARDA's involvement in that. Sarah, you've reported a lot on this drug and other potential treatments, possible treatments for the coronavirus. Can you remind us, what is hydroxychloroquine and why was the government's push for it so controversial? So hydroxychloroquine is a version of a malaria medicine that's been on the market since the 1930s. So it's a known medication, but in March, these ideas started swirling that it could be used against coronavirus. And there was some early um, anecdotal data suggesting it could have a positive benefit. 
Within weeks, the president was touting it from the press briefing stage. Prescriptions were soaring. So this kind of became the hyped medicine of the moment. But the problem was there was no definitive data saying it actually worked. And so in late March, the strategic national stockpile wanted to accept some of these pills into the stockpile. And in order for them to do that, because they were not approved, Dr. Bright had to write to FDA asking them to authorize those pills to be put in the stockpile. Um, what happened next was that the FDA issued an emergency use authorization, which ultimately allowed the pills to be stockpiled. But it was controversial from the start because, again, there hasn't been data saying these actually work. There still isn't data saying that these actually work. Actually, since then, there's been some studies that suggest it isn't that effective and actually people fare worse on this pill. And so there are still a lot of questions out there. And Dr. Bright said he was pressured even to, into making that request from the FDA. Yeah, that's a big part of why he says he was forced out of his job for opposing this drug. Um, in his whistleblower complaint, he said, quote, I am speaking out because to combat this deadly virus, science, not politics or cronyism, has to lead the way. Dan, you've actually interviewed a bunch of officials who worked with Dr. Bright. I mean, do you think his his claims are true that he was pushed out because he didn't support a politically motivated push for an unproven drug? I think some of his claims are are absolutely true. Dr. Bright has said there was political pressure to obtain and provide these untested malaria drugs, and that lines up with what I've reported, what Sarah's reported, what others have have covered for weeks. And Dr. Bright does provide emails that show how the top lawyer at HHS, a, a Trump appointee named Bob Chero, was closely steering the project, which raises real questions about why career health experts were having to defer to political appointees in the middle of a pandemic. Dr. Bright also lays out in excruciating detail how Trump appointees ignored his warnings in January, January, four months ago, to start ramping up mask production. He has the emails to prove it. And, and he turned out to be absolutely right about the need for protective equipment. But at the same time, reading his complaint, some of Dr. Bright's claims about senior officials, uh, like HHS Secretary Azar not grasping the threat, those claims don't ring fully true. Some of his claims seem to be based on extrapolation, where Dr. Bright might have taken Q&A in a meeting and, and read more into it. I think the execution by HHS was obviously lacking, but Secretary Azar and Robert Kadlik, who was Dr. Bright's boss, were thought by some to be alarmist for the warnings that they were simultaneously issuing about the potential pandemic at the same time that Dr. Bright said they were ignoring it. And, and perhaps most relevant to your question, Jeremy, and, and, and most relevant to this whistleblower case, Dr. Bright's original claim that he was forced out for fighting back against the malaria drug push, that's something that I'm having a real time getting my head fully around. He hasn't disclosed any emails that show him making a stand against those malaria drugs. And in fact, he went along with aspects of acquiring them, as Sarah just laid out with the EUA. Dr. Bright's transfer didn't happen for several weeks until after that decision and my understanding, I believe Sarah's understanding, was that the last straw for Trump appointees was driven not by Dr. Bright's resistance to the malaria drugs in March, but by internal emails that he's now acknowledged that he leaked to Reuters in April. And most relevant to his claim, I, I had spoken to current and former officials 
as early as last year and well before the pandemic, who laid out a bunch of management complaints that they had about Bright and told me then that the Trump administration had wanted him gone, that it was only a matter of time. In fact, one told me that Dr. Bright would be moved by Valentine's Day. I, I think there's a debate about whether ousting a vaccine expert in the middle of a pandemic is the right time to do that. But that's a separate question to whether Dr. Bright was moved because he was pushing back on malaria drugs. I mean, President Trump has, you know, said multiple times that he didn't know who Dr. Bright was and then, you know, has gone on to call him a disgruntled employee that he's, you know, just doing all this because he's disgruntled about being moved from his post at BARDA. Sarah, what do you make of all of these layers and like what's at the center of it? From the time that he was removed, two days afterwards, he alleged that it was over this hydroxychloroquine push and his resistance to that medicine. As Dan laid out, there are a few questions to that claim. But in his complaint, he also fleshes out a multitude of things that he was worried about. Another thing that I think is going to be something we'll be thinking about for the months ahead was whether we were prepared for vaccine development and manufacturing of vaccines. So he claims in his complaint that uh, he sounded the warning light on this too, along with a few other things in, in January when he was saying that we need to be taking this more seriously. Whether that's true or not, I think that's what is central to this is fingers are being pointed about who was ready, who was prepared early on in this pandemic, and if things could have gone differently had someone been listened to. Only time's going to tell whether we are prepared for things like vaccine production, but I think that Bright is trying to lay out a narrative where he would have let us through this better than some of the other people that are in charge right now. And so President Trump is, of course, trying to distance himself from that. But he also has to lean on these officials that he has right now in these places that are going to have to deal with these matters that Bright has brought up in his complaints. Well, Dan, does it really matter why Bright was forced out? I mean, if he is potentially raising major concerns about, you know, different political um, problems going on inside of these organizations that are central to the country's response to the coronavirus pandemic. What's the bigger story here? It's, it's a tough question that I've spent days thinking about. The importance of having whistleblowers, that's essential to the work that, that Sarah and I do. We, we love the idea of whistleblowers. They're brave. They're shedding light where it, it needs to be cast. Um, so I do think the bigger story here remains the Trump administration's response or often lack of response to the pandemic in the early days. But part of being a reporter is also telling the full, fair story. And I, I think even as Politico has written many stories that rightly hammer the Trump administration for its screw-ups during the pandemic, and Dr. Bright is a perfect source to talk to about some of those, those early problems, we also can't conveniently forget the full story. And in my case, several people told me months ago that Dr. Bright was going to lose his job for very different reasons than why he now says he lost his job. And I think that gets to a second issue here, that for Dr. Bright, as a whistleblower who just released a very detailed complaint filled with explosive allegations, so much rests on his credibility, his personal credibility. And that means that we have to tug on these threads. And what is tough is tugging on the one thread about why Dr. Bright says he lost his job, and knowing that his claim may not be the whole truth at best. And that makes someone like me that much more wary before embracing all of his claims and why we need to vet these complaints before accepting them as the full truth. 
Regardless, he is out of his job. I mean, Sarah, has the fact that Bright's been pushed out, has it set back the government's efforts to fight the pandemic, to develop treatments and vaccines? Some people certainly think so. I've talked to former and current officials that are worried about that very thing. But I've talked to others who say, you know, he was one person, he was a knowledgeable person, but there's plenty of those in BARDA and in FDA who are leading this development push. And so a lot of people have pointed, for instance, to FDA's director for the department that reviews vaccines, Peter Marks, and said that he's been leading this in Bright's absence and probably will be the person to accelerate vaccine development. But like I said earlier, he raised a few concerns in his complaint about vaccine production that I think are going to be really relevant in the months ahead, because we've talked a lot about how do you get a successful vaccine through the lab, but we haven't talked about really how to scale that up to hundreds of millions of doses that people are going to want as soon as it's known that we have an option out there. And he alleges in his complaint that we are already on bad footing with that, that we already have glass shortages and things like that. So those are parts of his complaint that really could pan out to be true. And it's it will be less important whether he was the one to first raise those within HHS. It'll be more important in the coming months to see whether anyone in HHS prepared for that possibility. Mm. I want to put this question to both of you. Um, Bright will be testifying today. What do you expect to hear or what are you looking for in his testimony? Dan, I'll start with you. Well, Jeremy, you mentioned how the world is now paying attention to health reporters and organizations like BARDA. I think this hearing will be a prime example of that. People are locked in their homes. They're curious about the pandemic. I would not be surprised if this hearing gets a a record TV rating for the number of people simply tuning in out of curiosity. And what I will be watching as as someone who's tracked this agency and the people involved is whether Dr. Bright is able to handle some of the pressure on his claims. The health department has been sitting on documents that will either shed more light or undercut some of his allegations about Dr. Bright's response to the pandemic. Was he receptive to every opportunity to pursue vaccine research? He has said that HHS stood in the way. HHS is probably going to push back and say there were more opportunities available to him than his claim uh, would make it seem. But I, I also think that Dr. Bright's team will have prepared him quite well. He has retained the lawyers who worked on the case of Christine Blasey Ford, the accuser of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. He's working with a Democratic publicity and strategy firm. S.K.D. Knickerbocker. His spokesperson used to work for Joe Biden in the White House. These are heavy hitters. And I can speak to that having written some articles about Dr. Bright. But they they will have tried to ready him for this moment. And it will make this hearing not just one that we're all watching for the insight into the scientific process, but also a politically charged moment that, that some want to have as a referendum on the Trump administration's response to the pandemic so far. Sarah, what are you going to be watching for? At the heart of everything that Dr. Bright is alleging is this accusation that the White House has politicized science and politicized the chance for a coronavirus cure. And so I think that's why, like Dan said, we're going to see potentially sky high ratings on this on this hearing and why people are learning what the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority is. Um, and I think that is really what's going to be the most important thing. He alleged in his complaint that they were even before this hydroxychloroquine pressure, a few contracts awarded through BARDA to 
people close to the White House, to lobbyists, are friends of the administration. But HHS has lobbed the same accusation back at him, saying he favored Johnson & Johnson for vaccine development. So I think that's going to be really hammered out today um, by Democrats and Republicans alike, who are going to want to know more about these contracts, who favored them, whether there were measurable impacts from those decisions. Um, and politicizing science is something that is always a scary prospect in any government. But right now, during a pandemic, if, if what he is saying is true, that decisions were made because of political favors, that's something that I think everyone in America is going to be tuning in for. All right, that's our show for this week. I'm Dan Diamond. My thanks to Dispatch host Jeremy Siegel for joining me in leading the conversation. Our producers are Annie Reese and Jeremy Siegel. Jenny Ament is our senior producer, and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. Subscribe to Politico Pulse Check wherever you're listening, and you can help us by leaving a rating or review. It will allow new listeners to easily find the show. You can follow Politico's coverage of the coronavirus outbreak in two newsletters, our Politico Nightly newsletter, rounding up the coverage every evening, and Politico Pulse, which I co-author in the morning and sets the tone for the day. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back with you again next week. Thank you.